0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Jack Throffle Show brought to you by Bailrig FM. This week on the show we are going to be talking all about the recent uh, Formula One racing. I think that's really where all the drama has been recently. Uh, Anyone that keeps up with Formula One will know that. Uh, We've got uh, Silverson and Hungary to reflect on now. Hungary just happened yesterday. absolutely crazy race probably the uh, equivalent of maybe Monza last season where you just have red flag at a weird time big crash completely messes up the grid no one knows what's going on apart from the midfield teams that uh, they know exactly that this is their time to uh, steal some points in the championship and that's exactly what we saw um, probably one of the strangest starts of a race of all time the picture of Lewis Hamilton on his own on the grid while everyone else behind him pits to uh, change tires Lewis is out there on his own in first Uh, while the lights go out and he's got the whole first lap to do without anyone to crash into him and without anyone that he can crash into, I suppose. Max already in the pits by that point created a pretty interesting dynamic where they were kind of both trying to come through the field together. Um, But we'll get into all of that later. Um, For now, I want to talk about Silverstone. We've got about two weeks to reflect on Silverstone now, probably the peak of the championship drama, uh, the standout moment of the season this far where you've got the two leaders contact on lap one at Lewis's home race, a race that I was at, I was out there for all three days, um, which is very fun experience, incredible atmosphere there. Uh, Great to be at a high attendance event again, see all the fans for all the different teams really. I mean, you had orange Dutchies, you had uh, orange McLaren fans. Primarily, of course, it it was Lewis's race to win. The grandstands were, were really all looking for that, for looking for their champion, I suppose. And then uh, with the grandstands demanding such an epic race, um, it seemed impossible for the the true events to stand up to the expectations. But I think anyone that was at that weekend will tell you that they they did. So let's get into it then. So I was there from Friday, right? I was going there. I thought, right, let's get every single moment of track action possible I want to see. Spend the whole weekend down at the track, go into different sections, different grandstand seats. Obviously, you have roving grandstand seats on uh, Friday and Saturday. So you you get the really good experience of being able to see all the different corners. Of course, you got the the pit straight is really where all the action is. Those are the the fancy seats, and that's where the uh, paddock club is. But you also have uh, maggots Beckett's, Of course, is that super famous uh, left right fast section at Silverstone that has been long standing. You know, one of the best corners or corner sets in Formula One. You know, it's up there with Eau Rouge. It's up there with the swimming pool at, at Monaco and the tunnel and all these little famous bits of the circuits that when you ask the drivers what they love so much about driving such incredible bits of machinery, it's through those super challenging sections that have evolved over time and gotten faster and faster and faster, especially at Silverstone where you have Magus Beckett's. It's a sort of left, right, left, right in a way section where you're almost flat the whole time when you're right on the edge of flat. So it's really that test of can you keep your foot down? How long can you keep your foot down for? and can you nail your racing line and catch the aerodynamics to flow through that section as fast as possible and hit the brakes just at the perfect point and it's so marginal there there's so much time to be gained and lost in that section and you get it wrong you're in the gravel but yeah let's start with Friday right so the biggest difference with Silverstone of course is, is that that weekend it was sprint qualifying time so you had um, the main qualifying session the original like timed lap qualifying session is friday afternoon and the teams only have one practice session then to prepare for that on friday morning right so they're running their qualifying like simulation in practice just to get the sense of what these cars are like around silverstone they hadn't been there of course since last year in 2020 they had two races there but the cars are quite different from 2020 now in the 2021 season the downforce uh, balance is quite different so it was really important for them in that practice session to get their cars set up properly for that standard qualifying format which is now moved to friday afternoon and then uh, they had the sprint race qualifying or apparently you're not meant to call it sprint race qualifying it's just sprint qualifying according to uh sky sprint qualifying with saturday afternoon right so they're actually they're doing their fastest laps of the whole weekend a friday afternoon now And on Saturday, you basically just have a mini race with no pit stops, um, which is then determining the grid for the full Sunday race. It's a really interesting dynamic. I mean, I think the teams are evolving each year on year, really, to to get the most out of their practice sessions, because it's an interesting question of, well, you have an hour, and there must technically be a correct answer to what is the most efficient way to spend that hour. You know, which decisions have the lowest opportunity cost, where is your biggest like, value per minute coming from? What, what kind of things can you change on the car that are going to tell you what you need to know about its behaviour around Silverstone? So to watch that, I think, on Friday morning where the teams are doing that practice and they're running all these extra bits of sensors and stuff on their cars to see where, where the time can be gained, it spices up the practice session quite a lot because then people that are there I think it was one of the highest attended Fridays of all time and the people that are there they are fully aware of the context of that practice session that the teams need to know literally the limit of how fast their car can go and and there was almost even a battle for the top of the timing sheets in practice which you know you see sometimes at other tracks sometimes at, when Formula One will go to a new track it's important to see who's who's at the top of the practice sessions. Uh, is is an, an interesting question to see right but I think even more so at Silverstone when you're you know that the track conditions for qualifying are going to be similar to what they are in the morning the car setups the behavior of your car is going to be similar and the fans know that it is crunch time really like there's not really any other option to get to get it wrong you have to spend that hour as best as you can and I think that was one of the best things about the weekend for me right to go and watched those practice sessions alongside, uh, you had Formula 2 there as well, and you had the W Series, and I think there was a GT championship as well. Um, and those were all running around the track, you know, in between the F1 sessions to sort of hype up the crowd a bit, get some attention on the lower categories. Uh, and there was truly some, some great racing in, in all of those categories across the weekend, especially the W Series, I think really impressed people. It, it's the first season uh, that that series has been attached to the Formula 1 like travel rotation so they're going to the same tracks as formula one at the same time now uh, which is huge i think for their investment and for their fan awareness for the growth of that sport um it's basically female formula three is really what it is um and they're growing you know it's only the second year it's existed and it's sort of a, a launch pad for the winners of that um w series the female formula three if you can win that if you can show that you're discernibly the best of those drivers it, it should be in best case scenario especially now it's attached to the f1 uh, circuit media circuit not whatever circuit um it should be a a pretty clear transfer from w series to at least formula two right there are plenty of pay drivers in formula two that are never going to make it and then when you have you know the, the normal winners of formula three get quite a clear transfer to formula two so why shouldn't the winners of the Female, uh, the W Series Formula Three. Yes, obviously they are like it's a total less competitive field. There are less cars than the FIA Formula Three, the, the mixed one. But there have been plenty of uh, female drivers in both Formula Two and Formula Three, uh, the official FIA series, as well as in the W Series. But I think the the whole kind of point of the W Series. Um, and the value of it being like at that Silverstone weekend is to bring attention to the drivers, to bring sponsor attention, to show that they can put on a great show in front of that many fans. And also, I think for really the, the standout driver of that series is uh, Jamie Chadwick. She's probably one of the most foremost stars of British motorsport at the moment, right? It's her, Lando, George Russell, and the other ones I'm forgetting. Probably, I don't know, throw, maybe Dan Tictum in there as well as like young young British drivers who are really going to be there for the future. I think Jamie Chadwick has a, a huge amount of potential in front of her and a pretty clear path to Formula 2 if she can do a back-to-back W Series championships. There's not really much else you can say and that kind of proves her better than uh, I think already a lot of the current Formula 2 drivers because the day-by-day Formula 2 activity is uh, a lot of mistakes and a lot of crashes that Jamie Chadwick really isn't making in the W Series. So I think that that path needs to be formed. And I think it's on its way to being formed Uh, and seeing the crowd really take to the W series uh, was pretty special. I think the race was on Saturday actually, but they were doing, you know, qualifying and stuff and parade laps throughout the whole weekend to, to kind of show people what the, uh, what the series can be. Uh, And it was quite cool to be there, you know, witnessing the evolution of that series, you know, for the W series, the Silverstone crowd was 10 times higher. It was the biggest crowd that they, they had ever been in front of by 10, 20 times. You know, it was a uh, even on Friday and Saturday. Especially well, I think it was sold out on Saturday. I think Friday was probably around like 90 to one hundred thousand people. And then you had more like one hundred and twenty thousand on uh Saturday and Sunday. And it was it was just really cool to to witness that um the growth of a series like that. So now so we've talked through the junior categories. Formula two was excellent as well at Silverstone, uh, a couple big crashes if if you want to look up those clips. But, you know, it's Silverstone. It always generates good racing, no matter what car you're in, really. Uh, And as we saw in the the full race on Sunday, generated some pretty special uh, moments. Okay, then. So let's get into the F1 uh, competitive action from Silverstone, then. So we'll start with the Friday qualifying. I think the two real standout moments from that session uh, were Russell making it into Q3. I think that was really the biggest one Um, for him to beat his teammate by such a huge margin. And really just outperform his equipment yet again uh, on Saturday where he's able to sort of overcome the, the race paced flaws of that William car that he can get past them on Saturday and, um, and really show what he's made of as a, a pure driver, especially around a circuit like Silverstone that is so kind of diverse in its challenge, right? You have fast corners, you've got like Abbey and Farm and Village, which are more slow speed, medium speed corners you're taking through like pretty much every aspect of the whole car. You've got long straights, fast corners, slow corners, medium corners, change of direction, you know, you've got gravel traps. It's a pretty diverse circuit and for Russell yet again to demonstrate his kind of supremacy over most of the rest of the grid uh, at such a track like that at his home track as well, back in front of uh, back in front of a home crowd, I think was a huge moment for him. And of course we saw now this weekend in uh, Hungary, he was able to finally break through that barrier after so many uh, 11th place finishes he was able to break into that top 10 with his teammate and uh, and bring some points home finally for williams right and we maybe we saw the kind of rumblings of that magic started up in the uh, in the friday qualifying session at, at silverstone where he, he was really one of the standout performers of that day of course the other standout performer was uh, was lewis hamilton putting it on pole putting in the best lap really uh, I think it was his first run in Q3 was what made it for him it was uh, a pretty perfect lap no one was able to beat it um, you had a fair amount of problems with traffic at the last corner there were some issues there but really the, um, the big winner of qualifying uh, was obviously Hamilton you know he was on pole no one really knew how valuable pole would be for the sprint race and of course reflecting back on that now uh, we know that Verstappen pipped him at the first corner Verstappen lined up second after qualifying and, and in the sprint race in the single stint extra qualifying session on Saturday, Verstappen just skipped past him at that first corner and, and ran away with it. Um, but if we're reflecting purely on Friday for the moment, it was Hamilton's day. It was his uh, moment, cheer in front of the crowd, get the whole crowd behind him, get them revved up uh, for for all the action that was yet to come. I mean, it was a huge cheer. I, I, was, uh, I was on the pit straight when he came round, right? So to see him come out of Vale into where are you are into club after Vale are coming round the last corner over the uh, pit straight across the line you see the time come up on the board and, and just the roar all the way down from turn 1 down the whole pit straight even you know the fancy people in the paddock club were going crazy it was uh it was truly a special moment to see him back on top there um there's nothing quite like the grandstands at silverstone for a, for a home driver and it was uh it was really special to see that so to get that out of the uh, the Friday session was was magical, really. I mean, without a competitive session on Friday, most other years, uh, you just have the practice sessions on Friday. So there's nothing really to cheer about until, uh, until Saturday. But to, to generate that moment, um, I think that kind of weighs quite heavily in favor of this change in format to have uh, competitive sessions on every single day. It definitely drew the atmosphere in a lot more. Um, and yeah, it was really cool to see uh, him be able to pull that off. And now I think we should get into uh, the action from Saturday. Okay, Saturday, then you have the F1 sprint race, which was, of course, a new uh, idea, a new development. Um, Sprint races and reverse grid sprint races even have been a component of uh, junior championships for a long time. Currently, Formula 2, they have two uh, single stint sprint races each weekend and then uh, feature race with a pit stop as well. And I think F1 were basically trying to learn from the uh, innovation of those categories to see, well, you know, how can we generate more of a taking, more action? How can we generate another spectacle for the fans? Uh, the, the consequences of, of crashing in it aren't too high. You know, there's only, I think, three points available for the winner, two for second and, and one for third in the sprint race. But relatively minor risks, uh, unless, of course, you're Sergio Perez, who crashed out from seventh or eighth I think spun out on lap one of the sprint race and, and put himself at the back of the grid uh, for a pretty miserable Sunday but really what we saw in the sprint race was Verstappen and Hamilton next to each other side by side into turn one um and Max won that battle you know he started in second he just purely got a better start inside line into Abbey and it was his corner it was it was game over Lewis really knew that the car wasn't able to fight back after that um and there wasn't I mean, I think Fernando Alonso had a pretty special start in the sprint race, but to be fair, I was a little bit sceptical of the uh, value of it, apart from the fact it was another competitive session. I think that there could have been more maybe to to mix it up um, and to generate something new, right? Because we have seen people race on the medium tyres before. To see it just again um, at a different part of the weekend, you know, it's definitely more advertising money for them it's more time on tv for the teams and the cars and the sponsors I can see the justification behind it of of having another competitive event Um, but I think there's room left to innovate uh, in terms of the format with the sprint race having it just be directly linked to the you know starting positions for the final Grand Prix on Sunday it makes sense it means that there is a clear sort of continuation through the weekend but I also think that um, yeah there's there's room left to go i think it's a statement in the right direction that f1 have sort of said that they're willing to try new things i think um of course we have the new boss uh, stefano dominicali the ex ferrari uh team boss now running formula one as a whole and it's sort of under his management that um a few things like the sprint race have come in and i think more uh on more broadly he's got a sort of positive perception both with the media and with the teams that they like the way he's managing uh, with their, with uh, Ross Brawn and, and sort of Michael Massey at the FIA. They're working together to to move the sport forward and, and to bring new ideas through. Um, but I think there's probably still room for some more new ideas after the sprint race. It, it was cool to see it trialed, um, but I would like a bit, a bit more innovation. Maybe, you know, you split up the top 10 and the bottom 10 and you have two separate sprint races. That could be an idea that mixes it up a bit, it would give the uh, teams at the back more time and it, it would make it, you know, a lot more competitive to get yourself into that top 10 in, uh, in normal qualifying could be an option. Um, but I think more, more the important thing to take from the sprint race is, is that it shows F1 is willing to change, and you know? F1 is willing to um, question it, its old practices and question its old formats to, to generate better racing for the fans. And more than not, um, that's a step in the right direction for me as a fan. I, I liked it. But I think, yeah, there's uh, work still to be done for that. So now let's get into, well, the probably the uh, biggest incident of the season uh, in Sunday's race, where you have Max starting on pole because he was able to pit Hamilton in the sprint. Hamilton starting in second. And um, spoiler alert, if you don't already know what happened in this race, uh, i got some bad news. Pretty controversial move from uh, our boy Lewis. It was a very interesting one. So let's take it through sort of corner by corner, right? So turn one max gets a good start they really both get a good start but it's clear even from the start that lewis is able to take different lines through the corners he's able to defend his second position and flow through the corners in a way where max is taking the optimum racing line and lewis is looking for a gap around him and the fact that lewis is able to look for gaps like that and still keep on max's bumper is showing kind of that lewis has the speed to overtake right he's he's there waiting to make the move the move is there for the taking so you go through turns you know one two go through the slow ones you go down to uh brooklyn's and luffield they're very close they come around luffield which is the kind of long hairpin um and hamilton's right on him and you're, you're getting echoes of senna and Prost down that straight in 93 you know they're banging wheels it is super aggressive max is defending marginally but he is there's a, a car's width there the whole time for lewis and, and there's the option right so they come around field They're going down the, I believe the National Straight is what it's called, the Old Pit Straight, flowing into Cops. Images of Senna and Prost banging wheels on that straight come back again. But the problem is, Senna and Prost were able to make that move work. You know, going around the outside at Cops, it's possible. It's been done before. Going up the inside at Cops uh, is riskier, right? And I think the problem with, with what happened is you have Max on the outside who was in first. He knows he's in first. He says, you know, I'm not backing out it's my corner, I'm in first. The responsibility of any incident when you don't have a clear side-by-side, which, in my personal view, I don't think there was ever really a a point, apart from in the braking zone, where Lewis arrived side-by-side, but the the only reason he was able to get side-by-side is because he braked so late into the corner. Far too late, understeered. Obviously, they both missed the inside apex because Max is taking the outside line, and Lewis is understeering, wide into Max and what we all saw was Lewis's front wing take out Max's rear tire and uh, bang that's Max for stepping out of the race red flag stop the race and uh, you've got Hamilton pretty much isolated now in his uh, in his pole position starting first for the restart so it's a pretty strange incident right it's a 25 point swing in the championship Max comes out with zero points Lewis comes out uh, with a 10 second time penalty that he was able to serve and still come back from come back through the field after serving that penalty with a very dramatic overtake on Charles Leclerc uh, near the finish it was excellent racing from Lewis in every single instance apart from lap one right there was just no need for it and it is an unfortunate incident deep down obviously I don't think he did it on purpose I just don't think he's that kind of guy I think we saw with the Rosberg competition you know in, in sort of 14 15 and 16 his his competitions with his teammate We saw what Lewis does in a tight fight like that, and there wasn't really any point in there where there was proper malice on track where he was trying to put someone in a barrier. He's worked his way up to the status of top three, I suppose, drivers of all time, Lewis, by being an aggressive racer that doesn't take compromises. The same way Senna drives, the same way Schumacher drives, it is your car or mine is going to be in trouble, And more often than not, Lewis gets to come out on top of that. But you do play a risk when you drive like that. And I think one of the things that has enabled Lewis to be such a a long-standing legendary driver is that a lot of the time he knows when not to go for those moves. And um, that was one of them. I think Mercedes admitted after the race that if there wasn't that red flag to repair uh, the barrier that Max went into, Lewis wouldn't have been able to run. So even more perversely he's put his championship rival out on the first lap, destroyed the barrier so much that they have to suspend the race to repair it. And then while the race is being suspended and, and paused, and he's lining up at the front of the grid again without his championship rival next to him, they're then repairing his car from the crash that he caused that allows him to go on and win the race. It's a very interesting uh, interesting dynamic um, at that race. And I think one that raises a lot of questions about how the media deals with rivalries so i think the next section of the podcast i really want to get into how how that rivalry was was understood through the media and and the impact of that on the driver psychology and on the perception of the sport and, and maybe compare it to some some past rivalries right so let's get into that so in light of that incident where you have the two championship rivals making contact with each other um unintentionally or intentionally whatever right you have to reflect back on f1 history where you have Uh, I think Senna and Prost had back-to-back years. Their championships were decided in the final race uh, in Japan by hitting each other, pretty much obviously on purpose, right? Prost did it in 89, and then Senna did it turn one in 1990, I think, if if I'm getting my memory right. The origin of of one of the most famous quotes of all time, I think, was uh, Senna talking to Murray after that race, uh, Murray Walker, saying... uh, if, there is, uh, if, if a gap exists and you do not go for it, you are no longer a racing driver, right? And that was his excuse for sending one up the inside uh, and taking out his championship rival. And you can reflect on that in in a few ways, really. I mean, there's never any true criticism of Senna saying that he was a particularly dirty driver or a malicious man. He, he was honorable and he wanted to win in, in every way possible. But Reflecting back on that, knowing that he pretty much did take out Prost on purpose, um, but somehow that has not really tarnished his legacy at all because Prost did the same thing to him. Uh, And then, of course, you have Schumacher crashing into Hill, uh, winning, you know, Schumacher's first title in in 94. Uh, It's another extremely controversial incident where you can question the intention. uh, And I think you can question the malice to maybe a greater level uh, than Lewis taking out Max at Silverstone, right? I think... It wasn't Lewis's intention, but it was his fault. And when the impact of your fault is a 25-point swing in your favour, you really have to consider the uh, the facts about the format of the sport that allow that to happen. And I think Lewis was you know, extremely lucky to get away with it. And I suppose the impact of Silverstone will kind of play out once we see what happens in the rest of the season, right? If the championship is decided by... The points that Lewis won at Silverstone right if Lewis takes it uh, and Max can't come back from you know back to back disappointing races at Hungary and at Silverstone uh, then it's going to be a really interesting one to see see what the uh, media perception is like I think the the media was another thing I wanted to touch on uh, before we get to Hungary because it was also one of the things that Max was very critical of in, in his press conferences this week is that look, yes, they are two championship rivals that have made contact and one put the other in hospital. But the fact is that there is, or it doesn't seem like there's any actual personal issue between them. They both understand that, that racing is hard and racing is, uh, is competitive and you are going to get those incidents uh, up to a certain point. And I think having the media each week pushing them with questions about, you know, do you respect Lewis? What are you going to do in an on-track battle? Are you going to put him off? Are you annoyed at him for putting you off? To ask that question once is even a little bit over the line, but you kind of can get away with it. I think the journalists kind of don't really like to consider that they have any responsibility. You know, their, their intentions are distorted by wanting those super clickbait headlines. But to even ask that question once is a bit much. And then to say to both Max and Lewis over and over and over again, asking about, you know, do you have a rivalry? How aggressive are you going to be? Do you have a rivalry? How aggressive are you over and over? It's just... It's just a bit much, right? And I think there was a, a good uh, clip that came out from the press conference this week uh, from Verstappen saying, look, guys, you have asked me that question before. You know what my answer is. I know that you're only asking it to make me more annoyed and to make this rivalry kind of bubble up even more. But that is really not the way to do it. And I think it, it's another one of the things that that needs to be remembered about Murray Walker, who who everyone will agree it was probably one of the best ever sports journalists, never mind the voice of Formula One for a generation, is that Murray was able to get right in the middle of all the stories and know all the drivers without any of those distorted intentions. You know, the love for the sport shone through and, and he would ask funny questions and cheeky ones about rivalries and beefs and, and stuff off the track, but it was always in a way that he he just wanted to bring entertainment out and he, his love for the sport was what was pursuing the, uh, the asking of those questions. And um, and it wasn't purely just headline grabbing, looking for, for Twitter clips and stuff, which is really what it has turned into now, uh, in my opinion. And I think another one of the things from from that clip of Max at the press conferences where he kind of turns back quite uh, firmly, I suppose, on a journalist was the sort of feigned shock from the journalist going, oh, sorry, Max, we didn't we didn't mean to annoy you. And it's like, yeah, but you kind of did. You did mean to annoy him to a certain level because it you in the media you benefit from that rivalry heating up because that's what people want to see suddenly you start to incentivize that and you lose the personal relationship with the drivers that in the long run is more beneficial to the media relationship but they're kind of chasing those short-term moments um but you know you you can consider that just a problem with all media in in the modern age but i think i was a little disappointed to see that bleed through into formula one in in such a way uh, and impact that rivalry but i think hopefully hopefully um, we can be done with that, or at least this podcast can be a place where we discuss, discuss things on a, on a more philosophical level, where a deeper level, where we're not really considering, you know, week-to-week personal issues with the drivers. We're, we're looking at it from a more a long-run perspective and we're taking in all the actual facts and not just the sort of distorted opinions of the different fans that obviously are interpreting the on-track action in a completely different way. But I think my goal is with this is, is to really discuss what should be discussed not just what is already being discussed by people in the press conferences trying to get headlines right i think that is really where i want to take this um and that being said in the last little section i'm going to record today um let's get into the hungarian grand prix which is a very different race from silverstone uh of course a wet race at the start huge incident uh with really bottas at fault and stroll taking out and collecting You know, a pretty fair percentage of the field. I think you had 14 cars running by the finish, which is uh, pretty crazy. But yeah, I think um, let's get into Hungary, shall we? So here we are then, uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix, reflecting, you know, looking back on Silverstone with two weeks perspective, I think has changed the way I viewed a lot of the incidents at the time. Obviously, being in in the stands, um, hearing people cheer when Max was put into the barrier by Lewis was a quite a strange moment for me because you know i don't really want to be the guy standing up and and going oh no come on you guys should be respectful because there's just no point in doing that doesn't benefit my weekend at all to do that but it's an interesting moment because it seems like a lot of the the hamilton fans are very quick to jump on and complain about hamilton getting booed for for doing you know mind games and and semi unsportsmanlike behavior in uh practice and qualifying right where he's these doing a bit of classic mercedes hijinks to uh throw the other teams off right he gets bad reception from the fans when he does that and his fans are the first ones to to call it you know call it what it is but also to to be very outspoken about that behavior from the fans yet then you have lewis putting max into the wall and everyone starts cheering in it i was an interesting moment for me uh, in the stands right but speaking of crashes let's get into hungary where you have a huge one at turn one, a, a huge uh, impact. Everyone is, uh, is is all over the place. You know, you got wet raced, first corner on intermediates, hadn't rained at all that weekend. No one knows where the breaking point is. Bottas gets it wrong, hits Norris, who hits Max out the way, who had significant damage, able to repair a little bit in the red flag, but nothing nothing major and, and nothing that was really going to save his race at all. Max was pretty much taken out again through no fault, no fault of his own. You're hoping that that karma is going to help him later on in the season and maybe he'll get lucky but of course we know that truly that is just a random incident that he has no control over but so yeah you have to crash at turn one right mixes up the entire field suddenly you've got Latifi in like third Russell is is right in the mix as well Ocon and Vettel have I mean the the onboards from Ocon and Vettel were absolutely insane it was literally like a video game where you had damage turned off for them but turned on for every other cast because what you see is just an absolute sea of carbon fiber Straight in front of them, behind them, all over the place, and then somehow Ocon and Vettel just got the perfect line through. I think both of them will admit a pretty fair amount of luck. Um, they were just able to float through uh, and and into the podium places, which is absolutely incredible. Of course, the uh, the win for Ocon was a huge moment. I think for the sport, a huge moment for France to go with uh, Gasly winning last year and Ocon winning this year for French motorsport. Um, you know, before that, the last win I think was Monaco '96. Uh, with Olivier Panis. So to have back-to-back French winners in motorsport, uh, and of course you also have, uh, touching in MotoGP, you've got Fabio Quartararo, another French superstar who's in the fight for MotoGP this year. So really a big year for uh, for French motorsport. And to, to see Ocon up there on the podium, of course his first win, uh, first win for Renault since returning to the sport, uh, and to see Alonso back there as well. Of course Alonso won his first two championships with Renault in 2005 and 2006, and then Renault took a little break from the sport, uh, and that team ended up coming back. And it's their first win since returning was, uh, well, it was yesterday. Uh, and it truly is just a special moment for every, everyone, right? Um, everyone apart from Vettel, who, of course, we now know had an issue with the fuel uh, flow in his car. Uh, and they were unable to extract the fuel sample after the race, which is, uh, look, you can have your opinions about the overregulation regulation of the sport, but that rule is the same for every, every week. And uh, it's not his fault, but it's not... Uh, It's not an accident that um, they were unable to provide that sample. So it's just a shame, really. But you still have a hugely mixed up podium, of course. Now you have Lewis back on top of the Drivers' Championships. An absolutely stunning race from Lewis this weekend. Um, No real controversy, which is a good good thing for him. Uh, An incredible battle with Fernando Alonso in the closing stages of the race where Lewis is on fresher tyres and Alonso really is there winning the race for his teammate. Truly a special performance from him. Hungary, I think everyone will know, has, has been uh, a bit of magic this season, really what the season needed. I think we come to Hungary each year and before it starts, we say, oh, it's Monaco without the walls. You know, it's too many medium speed corners and, and the dirty air was hugely impactful. Um, and it was yesterday, but you also had incredibly, incredibly mixed up tyre strategies and incredibly mixed up grid and more than anything else, it was shown that this 2020 construction of the Formula One cars is truly able to, to uh, produce some pretty magic racing uh, and some pretty special moments for everyone involved, really. I think Alonso, at 40 now, was able to show that uh, there's no, uh, no wearing down in his ability. He was able to hold off Lewis for at least sort of three or four laps before Lewis was able to really make those new tyres work. But Ocon, I don't think, would have won the race without his teammate Alonso backing Lewis up for a while. So to see that performance really pay off for a midfield team and pay off so highly was truly just is one of the things that I really love about the sport is that that moment is possible and, and we always get a few each season. Uh, and I think we have to consider ourselves very lucky that um, that this is the way we got our, our midfield win moment uh, this season, right? Truly, truly a special moment. Okay, I think that'll be uh, everything for this week. Um, we haven't had a lot of action from the other categories. Of course, I know this podcast is really... Meant to be about more than Formula One, but uh, IndyCar's been on their summer break. They'll be back in August. I think NASCAR are in the middle of their playoffs at the moment, but the NASCAR playoff format is, is very complicated. Um, and I think the best thing we can do really is, is reflect back at the end of the NASCAR championship on, on the events of the season, be able to deliver a more understandable uh, perspective on that. MotoGP is also back, I think, next weekend, which will be super interesting. as so we can get into some other categories then. Uh, Rally's coming back too. We'll get into all of that once it starts happening again. Uh, weekly episodes will be starting in October. Uh, we'll get the interviews in. We'll get some great guests and some great uh, analysis and some insights for you. That being said, that's all from me this week. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you are able to check out some of the action from uh, from Formula One, and I hope it was interesting to hear about, get a little recap of the events and uh, my interpretations of, of what I was seeing each time. I'm really thankful that I was able to go to Silverstone this year. It was really. Uh, special for me and um, i was really glad to, to make that make that a reality to be able to see three days of, of great action uh, and then have that have such a controversial race followed up with with such a magical one in, in hungary you can't ask for more than that you know that, that's what formula one is all about and uh, it's what we're seeing at the moment so that being said that's all from me uh, thank you very much for listening again uh, i hope you enjoyed episode two of the podcast and uh, i look forward to getting those weekly episodes in uh, in the autumn